Welcome to The Source by Hayes Talent Solutions, bringing you insights into the world of work. In this series, we'll be talking to industry experts about market trends, topics, and strategies, and how they're affecting organizations like yours. I'm your host, Alyssa Levitt. Well, hello there, and welcome to the next in our series of conversations. My name is Paul Vincent. I'm the Global Head of Services Procurement within Hayes Talent Solutions. And in this conversation today, uh, I'm going to try and turn the tables. My special guest is a guy called Christopher Dwyer. And Chris is a very respected analyst for Arden Partners. And in turning the tables, Chris is very used to interrogating people like me on what we're doing and how we're doing it as industry service providers. But I thought it'd be really, really interesting to get Chris's personal perspective on the market and on some of the changes that that are seen. So Chris, welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Paul. This is a a wonderful opportunity and uh, I I do like the idea of turning the tables. It's it's a little weird for me, but uh, (laughs) very, very excited about it. So listen, I'd like to start with a very simple question. Uh, I mean, you've been an analyst for, for a number of years. You're very experienced in in, in this side of the of the business, but really, what what made you get into that, and, and why in particular do you have a, a passion for the contingent workforce arena? Yeah, great question. Uh, so, uh, I mean, my my story, I imagine, is very similar to a lot of others in our space, where we didn't necessarily seek out, you know, the contingent workforce industry of being a staffing executive and. Uh, what happened with me is I, I grew up wanting to be a, a journalist, right? I mean, I, I had visions of when I was a child, I had visions of being, you know, a writer for Rolling Stone magazine and covering, you know, big mm-hmm. rock shows or, <laughs> or, or even on the or even on the other side, you know, maybe winning a Pulitzer for, you know, covering some uh, some huge newsworthy event. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, that was my path for a long time. Uh, journalism major in college, uh, graduated uh, with a degree in, in print journalism, and uh, I was very lucky in the sense that I, I found uh, I found a newspaper uh, position, a uh, very small newspaper in the suburb of Boston, uh, pretty much about a week after I graduated, which was very rare for the journalism field, uh, where you really have to cut your teeth for a while before you uh, you get hired as a reporter and, uh, and an editor, and uh, very lucky to be able to do that. But uh, mm-hmm. I got burnt out on it very, very quickly. I mean, obviously love the writing aspect of it, but there was always, um, there's always sort of a business sense that you missed uh, in, in in doing that. And, you know, one of the things that I had been a part of for uh, throughout the entirety of, of my college years was uh, um, was I worked in in procurement and accounts payable as, as sort of a P2P assistant or financial assistant at a number of different firms. And so I had that business business sense that I had to, you know, business desire that I wanted to satisfy somehow. So um, again, like I said, you know, sometimes people just fall into this industry. I got hired as mm-hmm. a, ju- a junior analyst at at a company called the Aberdeen Group in uh, in downtown Boston. And I, uh, you know, based on my experience in history, which is very limited at that time, you know, way back, uh, you know, a year and a half out of undergrad, um, I got uh, placed into their global supply management practice, which, you know, which essentially was their procurement and finance practice. And mm-hmm. um, I, you know, sort of was a utility, what we call over here in a, you know, uh, uh, on a baseball team, right? Utility infielder, right? You can play different positions, and that's sort of where okay, I was. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I, I got uh, put on 
uh, a coverage area called uh, complex category management. So, you know, think of all your indirect spend, right? Your mm -hmm. travel, your expense, your print marketing, um, real estate facilities, and of course, the biggest one of all, contingent labor, and uh, really took a, a shine to it. And I remember co-writing my, my first research study in the contingent workforce space way back in the summer of 2006. And uh, I haven't wow. taken a peek at that in a while. I should, though, because it, it would probably be a, a real trip to take a, take a look and go back in time. But um, mm. but yeah, I mean, from there, basically be carved out my career. And uh, I worked uh, under a gentleman named Andrew Bartolini, who's, our, who's the founder of Arden Partners, and he was my mm -hmm. mentor at Aberdeen. And uh, when he left the firm to start Ardent, um, you know, I, I, I really, you know, not only took over the, the research practice from him, but also uh, just got deeper and deeper into the to the realm of contingent workforce management. And of course, uh, when I joined Ardent uh, about seven and a half years ago, specifically with this topic in mind, and mm. um, you know, obviously, it's uh, it's sort of ingrained in me, right? I mean, uh, mm. I always I always joke, you know, I'm a contingent workforce nerd, and I'm very proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, we can uh, we can get the benefit of some of your nerdiness in the uh, in in the rest of the of the call. Um, I mean, you and I have known each other for for a long time, mm -hmm. and uh, through through different types of of roles, and and having read you know a number of your, your different reports over the years and, and, and articles and blogs and things you, know, you have you know, clearly seen a huge amount of change in this industry and, and not just in terms of service providers but also in buyer behavior buyer expectations and, and, and buyer knowledge now i know you've just published your latest annual survey which is um definitely you know recommended reading for everyone listening to this um i was wondering whether you you can sort of talk about some of the real standout changes that you've you've seen in the marketplace not necessarily just in the last year but maybe the last two or three years that you feel are really noteworthy yeah th thanks for uh, bringing that up paul i mean this is a study again that i've i've been writing in some capacity for for going on 15 years now on an annual basis i mean obviously we've We've got many other types of research studies that we write on on the future of work and um, you know other other topics that link back to uh, the contingent workforce arena in some way. But yeah, the state of contingent workforce management is uh, again it's uh, it's my you know my child right. And besides my real human children, it's my it'd be my third child I would I would say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, and so it's it's really interesting to 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 be able to. Um, you know, put together a research study of that size and magnitude every year because you you sort of see firsthand the major shifts and evolutions happening uh, in in the world of work and and so the the 2018-2019 edition uh, the big the big focus was on enterprise agility right and the idea that you can tap into your 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 uh, your on demand contingent talent as a way to be more agile. And so that's really where the idea of the agile workforce, I think, uh, uh, was sort of solidified. I mean, I know a lot of a lot of others have talked about this concept of the agile workforce, but um, you know, that that was a research study that published about a year and a half ago that I, I think really put a lot of the pieces together around yeah. what an agile workforce actually was and how you define it and how you build it and how you, you know, you you derive the most value from it. <clears throat> and so this year's study. Um, I thought was really, really interesting. So, and, and Paul, you love this, right? I mean, every year when we ask organizations what their top priorities are, uh, you know, let's say top four, right? Year to year, mm -hmm. 
SOW and services for some reason is always like number three, right? Mm. <laughs> it's it's there it's there every single year. It's and it's funny as as, as an aside here, um, I can remember maybe back in 2013, 2014, uh, presenting on a webinar. I don't I don't remember specifically what the what the what the bigger topic was, but I had I had boldly claimed, well, SOW and services that's the next great frontier, and I had this picture mm. of like. A desert landscape with a tumbleweed, you know, coming by, and this yeah. is you know, this is the, and every single year it just seems that more and more companies just really can't figure it out, and they need, uh, mm -hmm. and that's why they. I think that's why it's it for for what five or six years now it's been a top three focus because organizations uh, realize just how how big the spend is and how much rigor and and and, and more robust measures they need to take to to better manage it. But um, yeah. yeah, so you know, last year's study. Um, you know, analytics, SOW, and new technology were sort of the, the th top three focal areas. And then when we came to this year's study, and I thought this was the biggest indicator of where uh, where the market was headed, is that talent pool curation and development, direct sourcing, and SOW were the top three focal areas. And I know, again, Paul, you you're you're you know firmly entrenched in in, in the UK, right? Uh, mm. So you're very you and 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 the the organizations that you service um, are very you know uh, are very comfortable with the direct sourcing model. But you know mm. over in North America, this has this is it's not brand new, but it's it's something that I think more and more organizations over the past six or seven months have really realized. Well, direct sourcing is something that you know we should really you know, we should really look at because again, mm -hmm. the, the, I think the most interesting thing about the, uh, the contingent workforce arena over the past six or seven years is that it's, it's gone from a very commodity led focus to a talent led focus. And I do think that at the end of the day, you know, that's, that's sort of what's, what's been driving the focus on, on, you know, talent pools and direct sourcing. And then of course, yeah. you know, Paul, Paul, y your favorite topic and my favorite topic too, right? Uh, <laughs> SOW and services is just always up there. I mean, that's that's what's really interesting. I think that um, you know, I, I I sometimes look at it pessimistically and I think, okay, maybe I'm not doing enough to educate the market, but I do think that it's just a matter of more and more organizations, you know, waking up year after year and saying, okay, this is a huge bucket of spend and we need to manage it. But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, that's that that's been sort of a a standard year over year, um, you know, top focal area. But yeah, I mean, talent pool. Talent pool curation, development, direct sourcing, and the other big aspect that came out of this year's study was that there's a more focus on on skills more than anything mm -hmm. else. And if you look look at sort of what what's been happening with with the pandemic across the world, um, you know, skills are important, right? I mean, understanding yeah. that we're starting to reopen a little bit, um, you know, whether it's uh, uh, you know, over here in the states, right? Every single state has a phased reopening plan, so uh, yeah. reopening is kind of staggered. But you know, as companies start to think, okay, we've got to get back to getting work done. Um, the first thing that we're going to look at is, you know, what are what what's what's the depth of our skill sets and our expertise? How can we actually yeah. get back to work? So, yeah. really, really think, interesting study. Well, I think that you know, I think it's fascinating that the the impact of of COVID. It has really illuminated so many different parts of, of, of business life, you know, the business landscape that have, I'm not, I wouldn't say been taken for granted, but, but they're things which necessarily haven't got as much attention. So, for example, I was on the, uh, I was on, uh, the phone to someone the other day and we were talking around the suppliers who you really value right now. And not to be technology 
based suppliers and technology based solutions because you know you're you've had people who have been delivering food to your house you've had people delivering medicines you've got people who are you know supporting all of the health requirements all the health workers etc and you and i think just the question of a technology in in service provision but then you've got the other side of this was the importance of technology in how we work because of the need to go remote working from home and, and all of the efficiency requirements and challenges of that that has bred so i think you know covid is stress tested if you like a number of established things mm-hmm. and the the concept of the agile workforce and the, uh, the access to skills you know agility now as you say you know coming back to coming out of the lockdown phase and going back to work and, and all the people that have been either furloughed or you know have laid off and companies that have not had their businesses open all of this you know requires that agility and so i think it plays into those those findings i'm um, just interested on i mean you know i can't really not have you on here and not talk about services procurement for at least two minutes mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and you know you know we've had this conversation before that i i do speak to so many different organizations at different ends of maturity and, and understanding and and i i often you know, come away from those discussions thinking you've the one level it's what do they understand about the opportunity but it's also what's their personal ambition you know how do they want to make frankly the role of procurement mm-hmm. much more centered as a strategic entity and as much as there's been written about that in the last 25 years it's often an aspiration that doesn't sort of play out and i'm just wondering whether in in as you've seen the rise of services procurement as a objective and a priority whether you're seeing a change in the level of ambition that individuals are attaching to it and they are wanting to do more than they may have done you know, a couple of years ago yeah, and that's and that's a great way of, of putting it, Paul. I mean, I, I think that uh, you know pr- procurement has always been in uh, an unenviable position, right? I mean, I think that over the years there's always that that factor of you know how strategic is procurement really, right? How how much of, of an impact or a value do they have across the organization? And I mean, I, I'm I've been uh, privileged, you know, over the past, you know almost what 15 years to mm. see procurement <clears throat> become such a huge uh piece of 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 the average enterprise i mean i, I can remember um you know back in 2008 2009 you know the, the so-called great recession the great economic downturn where uh it was you know again i i, keep, I use the phrase wake up call a lot but you know but what happens out in the world out in the market i think forces businesses to really to, to essentially wake up and, and figure out uh you know, better ways of doing things and understand the value of certain functions. And, you know, for the past 10 years, you know, procurement's been on this trajectory where uh, they they have so much potential. And, and I know that our annual CPO rising research always points to the fact that, you know, like 95% or more of businesses, you know, feel that, you know, procurement has incredible strategic value. And, and, and here's the thing too. I mean, I think that when you're talking about services procurement um you know procurement really has the opportunity and i don't want to use the word hero right but they've got a huge opportunity to 
to create even more of an impact. Uh, and mm-hmm. and I, I've seen this in, in huge organizations like household brands that I've I've spoken to over the years where, you know, they, they've got, um, you know, three, four, five hundred million dollars of of services based spending. Right. And there's no central control. There's no standardized way of managing all of that. There's no uh, I mean, I'm sure again, you know, they're tracking delivery dates and milestones and things like that. And, you know, Paul, all of the core, the core operational aspects of managing services procurement. But um, I mean, just think like if, if you're if you're a CPO today and, and especially today, right, right now with everything that's happening and your organization is focused on on cost savings and cost reductions, uh, you know, why, why wouldn't you take the time to to truly understand what your business is doing from a services procurement perspective, because there's so much opportunity. There's opportunity for savings. There's opportunity for uh, for better visibility into spend. And and the other the other part of it too. And Paul, you and I again, we've uh, uh, we've talked about this many 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 times in in the past. It's it's the the impact of 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 professional services and and the projects that they're attached to. I mean, we're always yeah. focused on optimizing how work is done. Well. Services procurement isn't just a procurement or finance or budgetary or cost-related area to manage. It's it has a very very a, a critical influence on on how successful the greater organization is. Because you know what, the reason you're using services in the first place is because you have a general lack of expertise in a specific area that you're that you're handing over right to yeah. to a professional service. You're, you're handing over to a a supplier of of a very uh, you know, um, uh, very specific niche area of service, and uh, you know, and that, that's the thing with procurement today. Like, there, the, procurement was 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 hailed as a hero coming out of the last economic downturn, and uh, I think this is one area that they need to focus on over the next, you know, six months to to a year. I mean, they should always be focused on it, but uh, even yeah. even more so now because you know, it's uh, uh, pandemic or not, you still have many projects across the organization that are being supported by. Um, you know, high impact, high cost services that, yeah, that, that you, right. You, you, you owe it to yourself and your organization to, to, to better manage that and standardize it. So listen, I, I'd like to take us down a, a slightly different track now because you you obviously spend a huge amount of your time listening to service providers telling you how great they are. And I've always wanted to ask you this. Uh, so no apologies, I'm going to ask you now while you're on the spot, which is, how do you differentiate between good marketing spin, if I put it like that, <laughs> and practical reality when you're examining all these different options mm-hmm. in the market? Yeah, well, it's <laughs> great question, great question. And uh, I, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, you're right. I mean, industry analysts spend a lot of time with technology software providers and service providers, right? And there, there is that fine line that, or the gray area, right, between, well, what, what's what's for real and what as you said paul what's what marketing spend as you as you called it that phrase i love that phrase uh it can it can be tough to um to sort of differentiate but between that right because you know you you the thing about being an industry analyst and i think a lot of you know a lot of buyers a lot of procurement hr execs and, and even you know those of those of you that are on the uh on the solution side is that um you, we we have a duty right we have this responsibility, or at least I do, right? I, I think that it's a noble thing to do. We have a responsibility to do the best job that we possibly can to, to educate the market, right? And mm. it doesn't do us any good 
to to spin things the way that they that they aren't right i mean it's it's it has to be based on on truth on fact on reality and i use the phrase i mean one of the things that arden partners has been um has been doing over the past couple of years is 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 writing these these so-called advisor reports there's uh technology advisors that focus on you know technology software and then there's what we call solution advisor which is more focused on the the you know the third-party services like like msps and and similar types of services and so when you write those types of reports um you know you you as an analyst have a have, have an incredible responsibility to be fair and balanced and i think that that's where um you know that where an industry analyst would 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 try to do his or her best uh, best to understand okay you're telling me all these wonderful things but let's see them right let's you know and it's a lot easier to i guess i'll say this it's a lot easier to see this in action in a in a software demo right <laughs> because uh you know and, th and that's really where to answer your question in, in a more direct way um the, the the differentiation between good marketing spin and sort of that 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 practical reality is is actually looking and viewing at the tool right and seeing it in action seeing all the things it can actually do and then two um one of the things that industry analysts are, are known for uh, are talking to end users i mean we we have at ardent we've got um you know uh dozens and dozens of of procurement execs, HR execs, talent acquisition professionals, uh, CFOs, and, and similar types of uh, uh, of executives and professionals that that we rely on for uh, for guidance and advice from time to time. Well, hey, like you know, you're using this platform, right? <laughs> what has it done for you? What's the impact? And again, being being an analyst that's not just focused on thought leadership, not just focused on 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 fact based research, but it's also focused on uh, covering the evolution of the the software and services marketplaces, um, you know, a big piece of all of that is uh, is sort of balancing. You know, well, what are they telling me, right? How much of its reality? You know, looking at the tool, understanding its impact, and then a big thing again that I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of people who read the research maybe you know aren't familiar with is the idea that we 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 talk to a lot of technology users of of service users that. Uh, that really do give us the lowdown and and, and, and and help us right help us differentiate okay they told us this but uh, you know is this something that they really have in place and you'd be surprised too yeah. that a lot of organizations uh, on the software services side um, you know they make big promises and when you when you uncover when you dig a little bit deeper <laughs> you can <laughs> I, I you don't know what you're talking about I've got yeah. no idea what you're talking about <laughs> so uh, but good good question Paul I'd like to explore that a bit, bit, uh, bit more, actually, because um, you know you've, you've, you've obviously explained you, you've got a huge bench, if you like, of uh, procurement, uh, HR, and talent acquisition experts that you can tap into. Generally speaking, do you think that the that you know, the, the, the buyer side, if you like, and collectively client organisations are as well informed about what the real latest thinking and the options are in the market you know are they are they as informed as they could be do you think uh, i think some some are um you know it's uh, what's really sad about this time of uh this time of year and that that this pandemic is happening is that you I mean ordinarily I mean, both of us are probably on the road right we're at conferences mm -hmm. and we're we're we're, we're able to, to 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 talk to uh to like-minded peers and individuals and um 
and that's and that's the that that's one key area that uh, every year it's it's eye opening to me that um, you know the, the, it's it's there are a lot of right a lot of folks on the on the procurement and uh, on the HR side you know you'd call them buyers right um, that are very well informed you know they listen to mm-hmm. podcasts they 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 read research they are um, you know the you see them that they're 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 downloading all your research they're participating in research they're you know they're you know they're sending notes and saying hey love love the podcast right um, but there are a lot of of buyers too that I think are um, that that aren't necessarily well informed about what's happening out there, and I think that that's why, um, you know, I mean, if everyone was well informed, right, um, when we would write our research, we'd find, you know, <laughs> all right, well, you know, yeah. enhancement of year-over-year cost savings, huge, you know, huge increases in spend under management and mm-hmm. talent quality through the roof. Everyone's using the right technology and services, so it's not like that. I mean, that that always tells me uh, year over year that. Um, you know that there are a lot of buyers and, and end users out there that 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 aren't doing a good enough job of of of, of keeping you know keeping up to date on trends and things like that. And so there, there's always work to be done. I mean, there's there there's there's no way that um, even the most talented uh, HR or procurement exec has the ability with what they have going on, especially now, right? Um, to tap into all of the research that's available, you know, all of the thought leadership to listen to all the top podcasts. It can be really, really difficult for them. Um, but um, you know, and, and I think too, like you know, that there uh, there's the idea of like sort of like these quote unquote blind spots, right? Where uh, even the most well informed individuals may not be up to par on certain, you know, certain you know niche trends, right? Um, yeah. You know, one thing that I'm finding is that. Uh, what I'd call a best-in-class contingent workforce program. Um, to give a good example, one that I talked to a few weeks ago. You know, talking again. The, these are household brands, right? Um, large global organization, um, hundreds of millions of dollars within their contingent workforce program. They they are literally what I would call a best-in-class, uh, you know, contingent workforce program. They're doing all the right things. They're using. Um, you know, supporting what they're doing from technology. They're supporting with services, um, and they're not using any digital staffing or on-demand talent outlets at all. And the mm. reason why was because they didn't know, they don't know enough, right, about that market. Mm. They don't know. And yeah. I'm thinking about, you know, the fact that, you know, they don't need to go in and all of a sudden, you know, directly source or self-source 35% of all their uh, their their external and unemployed talent, but they they just, they're not realizing the value of, of tapping into on-demand talent marketplaces and and you know FMS type companies that can really help them, um, you know, achieve their talent base goals. And so mm. that's a huge blind spot for 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 me today that I see is that businesses aren't really uh, businesses that have been doing well for years. Um, sometimes you know their their biggest blind spots are the things that are happening right now. The biggest technology trends, like even artificial intelligence as well. And I understand we could. We could have a you know a 45 minute you know probably even a four hour conversation on what AI actually is and whether mm-hmm. whether it's real or not. Um, but that's the other thing as well. I mean, you see so many wonderful solution providers offer some level of artificial intelligence enhancement or you know or or process support, um, and the adoption is just unfortunately very low again because because these professionals just don't understand enough about what they can bring right and so mm-hmm. and what the value is so um yeah so i mean you know some of those some of those blind spots really do happen around technology and 
and and specifically with this in this space, it's you know more artificial intelligence and, and digital staffing. And I, and I think you know there's definitely a push pull need here. I mean, I, I I experience this a lot because you know as a as a subject matter expert in one particular part of of the market, you know I'm I'm used to you know, try and inspire our clients to think differently and to learn how we could help them in this space, but you know, there needs to be that pull of interest in order to push through that notch. And so you've got this constant balance, I noticed, between the delivery of the transactional excellence, which is is often how MSP programs are you know, ultimately regarded, versus being a, you know, an almost like a, a beacon for new practice, for innovation. And and I think it's striking a balance between making sure that today works really well without losing sight of that today only works well because you're ahead of the curve and it's how do you keep evolving that. And, and speaking about ahead of the curve, I, I'd like to sort of finish with, with we've, we've talked about you looking backward. How has the market evolved over the last you know, two, three years and, and, and during the, the time you've been working in this arena? So I'm going to give you the the, the chance to go into a, a space ca- time capsule and uh, fast forward to 2025. Mm-hmm. And, and I was wondering, you know, looking at you know in that through that lens, have you got any thoughts about how you feel the the contingent workforce landscape may look at that time? <clears throat> wow, sorry, so five years out, um, and that's and that's interesting, right? That's there's so much more happening now, right now, today than ever before and so i I think that that my my answer to that question would be a lot different if you had asked me you know you know 2015 what does 2020 look like Mm -hmm. well one of my biggest predictions back in you know 2014 2015 was that when we hit 2020 we we would be as close as we could possibly get to 50 percent of the the workforce being non-employee right and i consider you know, obviously, my definition of non-employee includes gig workers, temp workers, contractors, freelancers, and services as well. And we're we're nearing that, right? We are uh, the the new state of contingent workforce research study um, found that you know on average, forty three percent of the average company's workforce is considered non-employee. So it's pretty close. wasn't wasn't right at fifty, but we're we're getting there. Um, so twenty twenty five. I mean, I think again, the answer would be a lot different if you asked me this question back in January as opposed to today. But um, Mm. I do think that one of the things that's going to happen over the next, you know, say, you know, four to eight months, uh, especially throughout the rest of 2020, and I I am optimistic. I I do believe that, you know, we we as not just the country, right, and and, and the states over here, but I think globally, other regions as well, um, they're going to get on a path to recovery. And even if it's very slow, it's still going to be a path to to ultimate recovery. And the contingent workforce is going to be a driving force behind that. And I mean, I think that that's the biggest the biggest callback to the last great economic downturn was that uh, businesses, I think it was the first time in history that they really understood the value of uh, of the non-employee or the contingent workforce, right? I, I always mm-hmm. call it the perfect storm, right? So, you know, back then, 2008, 2009, then, you know, mass, mass layoffs, furloughs, um, you know, a lot of cost-cutting objectives, uh, workforces just being gutted. And um, when it came time 
to, you know, to, to again, that recovery period, right? Uh, those businesses understood, okay, well, I, I laid off, you know, 250 workers. I can't hire back all 250, you know, headcount right now. Mm. Um, maybe I can hire a third of that. There was still that need to, again, to get work done, to support mm. product development, you know, to, to manufacture products, to support services. And that's where the real value of the contingent workforce, I think, started to, to, to be realized was, okay, well, we can tap into shorter term engagements. We don't have to worry about the benefits, right? We don't have to worry about all of the other obligations of the employer-employee relationship. And so I, I see a similar thing playing out. I, and again, I'm not saying that by 2021, <laughs> you know, 75% of the workforce is going to be, con be contingent, but I, wouldn't I, would, I would expect a bigger jump from 2020 mm. to 2021, then from 2019 to 2020, where we went from, I think, 41 and a half percent to 43 percent. Right. I mean, it, it could be a, a you know, a, a, it could be a two and a half, three percent jump, you know, up to mm. 46 or 47 percent. And that's I think that's the biggest thing. And the, and the other thing, too, that the market of 2025, I really do see businesses doing a lot more when it comes to um, how they manage their, their, their many channels of talent. And I think that as technology is evolving, as um, the, you know, as the, as the more, you know, I always say that, you know, VMS and MSP are the, the, the two most mature uh, traditional solutions that companies can leverage when it comes to managing their contingent workforce program. And I think that sometimes when you use that word mature or traditional, you know, I think that some people think, well, that means it's old and stale. Um, but mm -hmm. I do think I'm, I think I do think that we're going to see a, a future, you know, in, in four or five years where um, businesses are taking the best pieces of different types of, of offerings and and using those to, to, to really transform how they find and engage talent, how they manage that talent and how that talent is linked to the future of work movement and how they optimize how work is done, how they get work mm -hmm. done. Because I do think one of the things that's happening today is that there's a, there's still a lot of inconsistency. You've got again, I use the example. You've got businesses that are you know maybe they're, they're maybe they're maybe they're managing their program in house, right? They're using a VMS, but they're missing big chunks of their of their you know what their program should capture. Or mm -hmm. uh, or you know the case of my my household name, best in class contingent workforce program, right? Um, mm -hmm. Using VMS technology, using an MSP, but literally nothing in terms of self-sourcing or using, you know, um, mm -hmm. digital on-demand staffing. And so I do mm -hmm. see within, you know, at least the next three or four years and possibly five that businesses are starting to, um, you know, take take pieces of what's out there from innovative solutions and services and, and using those uh, to best maximize the agility of their workforce and how it's linked to how they get work done. So listen, Chris, that's a fantastic way of sort of closing out this this session. Um, you know, as ever, your insights are hugely valuable. I would encourage everybody listening to visit the Ardent Partners website to connect in with with Chris. And um, and all I can say, Chris, is thank you very much for letting me turn the tables uh, on <laughs> of you. Course. Um, and uh, I hope I won't uh, get a hard time in reverse when when it's next time for you to interrogate me. Um, but thank you very much, and uh, thank you for listening. Yeah, appreciate it, Paul. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Source. If you liked what you heard, 
You can follow Hayes Talent Solutions on LinkedIn, where we post daily insights and reminders for upcoming episodes. If you have any questions or suggestions for future podcast episodes, feel free to reach out to us via email at contacttalentsolutions at hayes.com.